Welcome to How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. My name is Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to the show, sharing the show with a friend, tagging a friend on the social media sites. We are live streaming back 12 p.m. Pacific. Again, now that we have video, we are also on YouTube. If you wanna find our YouTube channel and subscribe, that'd be a big help to me. You can find the links to all of our social media sites in the show notes. Would really appreciate a follow and a tagging a friend. That'd be appreciated. Share, heart, like, thumbs up, whatever it is. I'd really appreciate it. We're part of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network. Go over to fightlaughfeast.com, put in HTBT in the memo field, and you will get an HTBT mug like the one I just raised up to you. And you can drink along with me. Today I have some green tea with homemade honey from Iowa. It's delicious. Thank you for who you are who sent that to me. Oh, there's uh, no better tea to me than the green tea and honey. I love it. Probably like there's some tea enthusiasts that are like, you need to be a purist and do loose leaf tea and don't ruin it with honey. I don't care. It's delicious. I love it. But I would totally understand that with scotch. Like you put in ice cubes and scotch. I'm like, you're ruining it. And then I know there's scotch people saying, well, it actually is supposed to put a little bit of water in to release all the flavors. Oh, I'm a purist. I like it neat. It's delicious. And I would just be gasping if somebody mixed or put ice in my single malt scotches that I have in my house. All right, what are we going to talk about today? Today, well, first of all, let me tell you, I just got done with a battle with my son trying to cut his nails. He used to be so cool. He used to be cool. He was like sweet and innocent and he would just let you grab his hand gently and you could just cut his nails and he would just look at you and smile and like, I love you, dad. And now he's one, he knows what's up and he does not like it. And I've been really good. I have not cut his nails too short once. I've always been on the safe side. I've never made them bleed. And I, you know, just been doing a really good job because I have a Down syndrome brother who I used to cut his nails all the time. So I've made mistakes with my brother and I'm not holding it out on him. But man, it's like a wrestling match. And this kid's huge. He's like all rolling around. He's putting me in a headlock. And I'm tapping out like, okay, okay, son, go to bed with your razor sharp nails that stab me in the back when I try to take you into the pool. Uh, Anyways, it's such a joy. It's a wrestling match. It's a joy. But I'm telling you, man, having kids, as a lot of you know that have had kids, uh, you share that with me. And I'd love to hear from you guys. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on How to Build a Tent on the social media sites, or you can click the link in the show notes, like I said. You can also email me, Matt, at howtobuildatent.com. I love hearing from you. I get back to you even when I'm moving halfway around the world from Hawaii to Florida, Uh, which reminds me I need to set up a time. Now is the time for us to get together. For those of you who are HGBT fans in the area, Orlando-ish area, or you want to come on down, I think we should do like a little... um, I don't know, get together of some kind. If you want to do that, email me and I will make sure that you're included. If you have already reached out to me, uh, I'm going to try to find you. But if you don't hear from me, please reach out to me again. I'm not trying to be rude. I just have so many emails and messages. I probably lost track in this whole move situation. I deeply apologize, but let's hang out. Let's get together. I'm all for it. And uh, I'd love to hear what's going on in your life now. God is blessing you. Something that I've like committed to in my new house is to go digital. We're in a digital economy. There is AI. There are 
you know, driving cars, driving trucks, and all this good stuff. It's like it's time to like really step up your home and just make it a whole digital experience. We got the smart switches, and th th those were already installed. I have to say, I was inspired by the pe person who bought this from. He also is a big techie, and he like put smart switches in the home. He has like the surveillance and the Nest thermostats, and I'm just like, I'm gonna take that ball and I'm just gonna keep on running. One of the things I picked up. Yes, at Costco, is this fin? I'm saying it's fin. I'm not sure. P H Y N. I can't wait to install this. I can't install this because it requires a plumber, and you put it into the water pipe. You put it in the water pipe, or attach it to the water pipe. I can't even say it correctly, so I definitely shouldn't be the one to install this. You put it in on the water coming in and it measures the amount of water you use. And in Florida, water's expensive. So I've heard, I haven't got my first water bill yet. And it will tell you if you have leaks, how much water you're using. If you're using above the average, it can tell you if there's a running faucet for too long. And that is just really cool technology. So I'm like really excited to put this in see how it goes. And I bring that up, not to tell you that I'm going digital, which I am, and not to tell you that I bought something cool that I'm really interested in, but I think it's a very interesting product that I really haven't thought about too much, and I want you to think about it too, because perhaps there's gonna be more opportunities for you to create something or to sell something or to work for a company like Finn, or however you say it, P-H-Y-N. And this is the interesting thing about it to me, is it's a consumer product that requires professional installation. I don't know too many products that are like that that come to mind that require professional installation. Yeah, I mean, I guess like your lights, but technically you can do that yourself and the electrician. Uh, I know that you like most people don't put their own ceiling fans in and I definitely don't, but I mean, you could do it yourself. But this is like an actual project where you have to turn off your water, you have to do the pipes and like some of you handymen out there, like, dude, you are so not like, dude how do you not know how to install piping and stuff but i don't i don't know how to do it i'm just gonna be honest but i think it's interesting because it, they require or they say that you should get a plumber to do it and yet they are selling this product to consumers they're not selling it to plumbers to upsell to people they're not selling it to companies but they're selling it to consumers and that is an interesting um problem that's an interesting workflow to think through when you're selling a product that requires professional installation. Not only does it require professional installation, but you are putting the burden on the consumer to go out and find the um, expert, the, in this case, the plumber, to put it in for you. And what they did was a few cool things which we can take from and learn from ourselves. Is the first is all, first of all, they have a database based on your area of plumbers that have been trained in how to install this device. And that is cool because that means behind the scenes, they're actually reaching out, making it aware to plumbers, not to have, or maybe they are trying to get them to sell it as well, but also to be on standby, which is a benefit to the plumber too, because now, hey, you got this product and you probably have a customer because I know there's probably most of the people like me, I mean, there's some probably like super handymen out there who are gonna to try to do it themselves. But like people like me who don't have the time to do it and don't wanna spend my time doing it, they're gonna get a customer guaranteed. So I think this is an interesting opportunity if you sell a product like this, 
to reach out and get plumbers on board to say, hey, there's a product you can sell and you can make some money off of it. And hey, if you train and learn this, then I will put you on my website and you'll guaranteed get a customer. I think that was really cool. And then also you really need to have detailed instructions for a plumber that you haven't trained as well. And they did a good job of going through the instructions, showing pictures, having a checklist, like these are the things you need to explain to your client. The water is gonna be turned off for two hours. You're gonna need the Wi-Fi password. You're gonna need to have a, be able to connect while you're putting this together and all that great stuff. So I'm really looking forward to this. It looks like a really cool app. I can't wait to see all that it does. I hope it works because one of the things that I do have on this is a water filtration for the house. So all the water that comes in is getting filtered. But also something weird about Florida, or at least it's weird considering that I've only really mainly lived in California and Hawaii, is that there's two different waters, water pipes that come in. There's your sewage and water, which you get charged for sewage as well. And then there's just the water that doesn't get charged for sewage. And I guess that's for like your sprinklers and your, your you know, uh, what's the word for it? Whatever it is when you spray water all over your yard, but it doesn't matter. Uh, this isn't a gardening show. This is a business show, how to build a tent, not how to grow a lawn. Uh, so that is really cool. The next thing I wanted to talk about, and this is interesting because I was talking with David from CrossPolitik about this a while ago, and he was talking about um, that he thinks the ideal world is not for us to work for corporations, but to have the family business. And to kind of go back to the days of farming or small businesses where you're interconnected and you know each other and you work on projects together. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna beat around it. I thought David was crazy. I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, didn't really want to challenge him because I probably figured he had some scripture to back it up or something. But I was just, you know, kind of humoring him and saying, oh yeah, you know, that may work never. And then I started listening to a podcast where uh, Neval Ravikant, or however you say his name, he's a huge investor. He's like a rock star in the tech world. He created AngelList and he's like, he still kind of owns that. And he's really big into learning. Now he was on the Joe Rogan show. This is where I heard it. And he started talking about something similar to what David was saying. And he said, in this digital age, he expects maybe 20, maybe 50 or 100 years out, 50, 100 years out maybe, that we are going to start reverting back to how we worked before the Industrial Revolution, where we worked not in a hierarchy of middle managers, employees, and then you have your C-level, but that you are, we are gonna be working on projects with people we like, people we trust. We're gonna do the project, we're gonna say we wanna do it, say, we're not, we, say we don't wanna do it, and then we're going to earn the money, take it, and go our separate ways. And then there's gonna be another project, and people are going to come together, they're going to uh, pick out the different roles, do the job, execute it, take the money and go. Similar to how it's always been. I had to look to see if the battery was dying. It's not, so we're good. Um, similar to what it was before the Industrial Revolution. He was talking about how that's how we as humans worked before, before any of the Industrial Revolution. So there's a small window of time where we started organizing in a factory. Thousands and thousands of people came together to make one product and you were managed and you had to work. 
And he thinks we're going to go back because of the digital economy, kind of revert back to before the Industrial Revolution. And he was talking, and it's, it's, he's totally biased because there are happy people, but he was saying that there were no really happy people in big businesses, that the most people find the most joy at their work in small businesses, which I don't really agree. There's a lot of great big businesses out there, and there are a lot of people that enjoy their work in big business. But he was even going as far as saying, like, if you think that you're free and that you're making tons of money, uh, but you have to go to work and you have to be there at a certain time and you have to dress a certain way and you have to speak a certain way to certain people and you have to listen to what people tell you, then you're not free and you are not really rich because, hey, someone's telling you what to do and you should be doing things on your own and that's kind of freedom. I thought that was kind of an interesting thought, but yeah, definitely you are not forced to go to work even, even if you um, are under this contract where you are saying, I will work for you and you can tell me what to wear, what not, I'm going to agree to it. You can always leave. You don't have to go. So I don't know if I'd go as extreme as he has on this. But I thought it was interesting. And he said, he gave an example of kind of like how Hollywood works on films. Is that people work together that they know, that they enjoy. And you'll see this even with actors. Like actors that do really well together, that find good chemistry, that work over and over again with each other. But also with producers and you know, the people's playwrights and the writers and all that good stuff. I don't know too much about the movie business, but um, I do know that they do work with each other often and it's kind of like a, a group and you got to try to get into the group and it's really hard to get in the group because these people work together with each other and they know how each other works together. They find people that work well together with and they make huge, huge movies and make tons and tons of money. And hey, that's not a bad thing. And perhaps that is how the digital economy is going to be structured in the future where a lot of us are not going to be working for big businesses at all, but individuals, we're going to work for, for indiv on individual products making money, kind of like multiple side hustles with no main job. But regardless, we should all be working on some kind of side hustle. Um, but if we're doing that and we're prepared, then it's going to be an easier transition into this new economy and new world. And another thing that he said that was really fascinating to me was the idea that um, I need to plug in my mic real quick. So excuse me when I leave the phone. There we go. He was also saying that... Uh, there's always going to be new jobs created. And we talk about this a lot, how there's going to be jobs displaced. And it's definitely true. And he wasn't arguing that. But he was saying there's always going to be an infinite amount of new jobs created because new technology, new innovation is going to create new jobs. And I totally agree with that. And I feel like I've been emphasizing the need that jobs are going to be replaced, which they are. And But on the flip side, the positive side of that, which I should be positive about, is that new jobs are going to be created. The question is, is how long is that transfer going to happen? The longer it happens, the more painful it's going to be. The quicker it happens, the better it's going to be. And we, he just talks about his own philosophy of learning, always looking to learn, which I thought was really great. And he also said, which was another great point that I really admired about him, was... He doesn't care about reading the number of books. Like, I don't care about the number of books I read, he said. I just want to get the concepts and grasp them, and then I can move on. And that's, I know, like, you're taking, well, that's taking the fun out of books. And, like, I'm not saying you should read, you should not read books. 
But he, and he said this other point that was really solid too, is that I would rather read 100 books that are really good over and over again instead of a tens of thousands of books because a lot of books have garbage in them. And I think that was really wise. And I really like that because it's so easy for us to like um, put, like show like we're like really intelligent and like be like showing off that we've read all these books and like look at all these books behind me and there's like not one book behind me because I'm still unpacking. But we want to like show off about that. And he just isn't even about that. And I love that. Like we shouldn't be about doing things to make ourselves look good. We should be doing things to better ourselves, to better serve and provide value, to be obedient, to be good stewards. But we shouldn't be doing things just to show off. And like this book example is so great. Like, so what if I don't finish the book? If I learn some great things from it and I don't feel like I can learn anymore, why would I spend more time just to finish it to say I finished the book? It's insane. But yet we do that because we want to say we finished the books. Um, so I thought that was just a fantastic point all the way around. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, which was an interesting question uh, that I was pondering around, is uh, when is it right to do wrong? When is it right to do wrong? And an example of this would be when David and his men were hungry, Jesus was talking about how they ate the showbread, which was unlawful. It was wrong, but it was right, Jesus was citing, and it had to do with the Pharisees challenging Jesus on eating on the Sabbath day, which again was unlawful. So there are clear cases of when it is right to do wrong. And this is in the context, we're in, talking about business, investing finances is when is it okay for us to do something that breaks company policy or when is it okay for us to do something that we might say normally that's not the right thing to do but when is it the right thing to do and i remember hearing some people that are really smart grapple with that and they grappled with it because they had no standard they had no foundation they were very subjective people that believed that you know what's right is right for you is right for you and you know what's right for me is right for me and there's so there's no standard to draw on and even when you are saying like when it's wrong to do something when is it right and they just really didn't have an answer and they kind of just started talking um, and going around in circles because they didn't have an answer how can you have an answer when you don't have no standard when you don't understand where right and wrong come from it's very interesting. It's just like when you talk to people about love and you get people to try to define what love is. When they don't know the Bible and they don't see the description of what God lays out, what love is. Love is laying down your life for somebody else. Love is patient, kind, you know, all those are the fruit of the spirit uh, it's, and feelings and all those things. But it's, there's an actual tangible list of what love is and what love isn't, which is very unpopular for us to say in this world. But here is my answer. If they were, if I was in this room with these guys smoking cigars, drinking some scotch, and I would be listening a lot because they're really intelligent people and I don't like to talk when I'm around intelligent people because I sound stupid. But I was just taken back with how they did not have an answer. And this is what answer I want you to have too. And I hope that you've already like kind of thought through and jumped to your mind and you're like, I don't even know why I'm listening to this podcast. I already know the answer to this. But this is when it is right to do wrong, in my opinion. It's when doing the wrong thing or breaking the policy or 
um, breaking the law, I guess, even in this case with like the showbread and the Sabbath, is are you doing it to love others or are you doing it to love yourself? And I think so far in my life, I know that this has never steered me wrong. When I will break protocol, when I will break policy, when I will do what is not what people don't want me to do, when I'm doing it because I'm loving them, it always works out. When I'm doing it to love myself, to get something I want, to get away with something so that I don't get caught, so I can better myself, it always, it always gets me in the end. But when I have that heart where I'm loving people and trying to do what I think Jesus would do in this situation, then even when I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing right. And I think that's the biblical message of what Jesus was talking about with the Sabbath, what he was talking about as the example the showbread with David. And in business, if you break the rules to love somebody, you're going to be okay. Now, we need to define that love for a second because I don't mean do whatever feels right because a lot of us in our society say, hey, Love is a feeling, and so if you feels right, do it. No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is, are you building someone up? Are you pointing them to Jesus? Are you laying down your life for them so that they are better off, so that they are done rightly to? And there's a lot of times where something will come up where it's against policy, or it may be um, wrong to do for some reason, and it's something that is wronging the customer at the same time. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna wrong the customer or are you gonna wrong the policy? Well, if we are looking to provide value, to love people, to build them up, to point them to Christ, to be an example, then we're gonna wrong the policy to build up the person and to provide value and to make right what was wrong done to the customer. And that, that mindset will always steer you right because I've never known a company <laughs> that is going to discourage, even if it's against the rules, something that is going to build up and help others. Uh, and I'll just give one example of this. There was uh, somebody who worked at a bank and they started to continually get robbed by the same person. Now, I don't know if you know this, but statistically, the robberies that happen quickly, like, hey, give me all your money, usually get away, or at least they used to. I don't know if nowadays with all the new technology and stuff, it's the same. But back in the day, like way, way, way long ago, when I was a teller, uh, statistically they would say that if you, if you could get out of the bank in two minutes or one minute, one, it was something, one or two minutes, then you most likely got away. The ones that got caught were always the ones who took over the bank, like locked in down, had a forge, like every movie that you've seen about bank robberies, basically. And this one bank just kept getting robbed over and over again by the same people. And it was traumatizing the people. It was traumatizing to the tellers, to the managers, everyone, right? They were getting, it was like becoming a very stressful place to work. And this, the policy was do not pursue the robbers. Do not go after them. Just give them what they want, comply, and, you know, just, just do what they want and you'll be safe and get out of it. But this one time, this one teller just had enough. And even without really thinking about it, he said, he chased them out the last time that they came and he followed them down the street into their getaway car, was running after him, said he wasn't even really thinking like, I'm going to do this. It just happened naturally. And his manager came and he was able to say where they went, which way they went. And the manager, inspired by the, the chase, followed them with the police on the phone, caught them. Now, it was against policy. 
that guy broke policy. He could have been fired. But he was doing something out of love, right? He was not doing it for himself. He wasn't doing it for his glory. He was doing it because he was trying to bring justice to a situation and to keep this stressful situation from happening anymore. And the bank rewarded him for it. And the bank made an exception and kind of celebrated the act because he broke policy. He did what was wrong and it was right. And he was loving other people for it. And he got, you know, a bonus and all this stuff. And uh, it just turned out well. So I hope that helps with you guys navigating through these situations. If you have an ethical situation you're facing, please let me know. I'd love to work through it with you. If you have any questions about anything else, Matt at How to Build a Tent, or you can find me on the social media sites on the links in the show notes. Please give me a follow, How to Build a Tent. And now let's go out and be successful together.